for those of you who don't know, this is this is my friend Zane. Zane comes to uh, Monday night Bible study, but they were here all last, him and his wife Christy, which she's home with a puking kid right now, but uh, um, no, it's all good. But Zane uh, is a good friend, and uh, God brought him last year, and then now God has brought, brought them back. And as I shared with you last week, um, we have four pastors, and I'm not sure what God's going to do with all of that, but... Uh, we have, we have JJ, uh, raise your hand, JJ. And Charlotte, raise your hand. Not Charlotte, but her husband, Seth, and they're a team. But Seth's out of town right now. And, and we have Zane, we have me. And, and again, um, these are all people that God has gifted with the heart of doing the work of a pastor and has gifted with the ability to preach. And so uh, I'd ask these guys to pray and see what God was putting on their heart and out of, out of Hebrews 11. And, and, and I, I text Zane last week, I said, you know, he said, I've been asking since Sunday. And I said, so tell me, tell me, tell me. And anyways, it was Noah. And so anyways, he's here to bring you what the Holy Spirit of God has shown him to show us. And so he's supposed to preach. PowerPoint. There it is right there. And before he passes out, I'm going to shut up and let him go. Morning, y'all. Morning. I don't know how you're supposed to preach after all that right there. Well, first of all, you got shoes on, then so will I. And if everything in creation is going to glorify God, then so will I. That's what I was created to do. Uh, whoo, hallelujah. <laughs> whoo, don't do that again, Ashley. <laughs> well, I wanted to tell you a little bit, you know, about about my background and a little bit of my testimony and a little bit of what I feel called to do and um, a little bit of, of what makes sense to me of why I'm here. And so my background, um, I had some church upbringing when I was, when I was young and in my teen and early 20s, I went away. I went my, as judges, says it, I did what was right in my own eyes. And I went the, I ran the total opposite direction from God. Um, and in that running, I met my wife. And I always say this, God uses people to save people. He used the man Jesus Christ to bring about salvation for the world. And in my chasing of my wife, I chased her right up into a church. And I met Jesus in that place, really met him in that place, and everything changed. And over the last, that was, that was 10 years ago this summer, and over the last 10 years, God has developed immediately a hunger in me for the word of God. And I would say over the past six years, he's developed in me a hunger to share it. And over the past few years, he showed me what it means to be called to this place of teacher or pastor or evangelist or apostle or prophet. So I want to open up this morning with the scripture that's not up here. We're going to get to this in a little bit. But I want to open up this morning and what makes sense to me why God called me here. I'm going to share with you. And then we'll get on to the sermon. But in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, He himself, talking about Christ, 
gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. That's what I feel called to do, to equip the saints, not so that the leadership of your church can go and do the work of the ministry, but this setting is, is so that you leave here equipped this week that each day in the places where you are, at Visions Hair Salon, at the hospital, at missionary flights, wherever you're at, that you can do the work of the ministry, which is so simple. Make disciples. The work of the ministry, it's not our job only, and I say our as if I am, but it's not our job only as the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors to make disciples. It, God's called us to this position to equip you to make disciples so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry. And so each message that I give, each time that I teach, uh, every Wednesday night I, ha I have a class that I teach with young people. I, my motivation is to equip you to then go and make disciples. Simply put, to teach someone else what the Lord's taught you in this place today. And so we're doing that so for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to a unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of Christ that we should no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Me and, me and Pastor Clinton has been talking about, and, and Pastor Eddie references, uh, the pendulum swing. How that um, in, in evangelical church settings, somehow, even in each generation, the pendulum swings to one side of truth and abandons the other side of truth. The pendulum will swing all the way till... Um, from free choice so we have a choice to uh, receive salvation and then one day deny it till no, you don't have a choice, you're predestined. <coughs> uh, the pendulum seems from systematic theology to supernatural theology. And the truth is God is both systematic theology and supernatural theology. He's both, um, uh, excuse me, I lost my thought. Y'all okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> You're used to that. But he's both sides of the, he's both free will and predestination. He's both sides of it. And not only is he both sides of it, he's more than that. And the job of the, the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist, evangelist, the word in the Greek means one who preaches the gospel. So often we got the pastor who is the shepherd. The pa you know what the pastor looks like in the congregation? He has battle scars because he's busy fighting off the wolf. The evangelist is the one that's preaching the word, but we have the passenger, the pastor, the shepherd trying to fill every position in the modern-day congregation. And there's no room left for the evangelist, the preacher. The pastor's doing the preaching. He's fighting the wolf all week so that the sheep don't have to. The pastor has battle scars. When I met Pastor Eddie, I, I, 
for the, one of the first people I've met in my life, I said, that guy's the shepherd. He has the battle scars. He is fighting the enemy for his flock. He's going to war in prayer. And that's another way the pendulum swings. We get off on this doctrine of, of spiritual warfare and we abandon worship. One pendulum says that worship, it's all about worship and how I express my love to God and God is all about love. And one side of the pendulum says uh, that it's all about warfare. You've got to take uh, control of the enemy. You've got to cast out demons. You've got to do the supernatural work. We know it's both. Is that we express our love to God and worship. And in that worship, like Moses was, uh, when they were in that battle, you, you guys see me lift my hands in worship. You, there's reasons for that because I learned Hebrew words of worship and how to express my love towards God. But I seen Moses in that battle where they had to hold his arms up. And what happened when they held his arms up? They won. They won. Victory over the enemy. Why would I stand in worship like this? When I see a pattern in the scripture that shows me that if I raise my hands and worship my Lord, I'm in warfare and I'm doing both and I'm coming to unity in the middle. And that's why I feel like I'm here. To me, that's what makes sense. It's not a competition, this church over that church, or it's not a competition, this leader over that leader. It's a compliment to the body of Christ. And I don't understand all the things that God's doing, just like Pastor Eddie don't. But I feel like I compliment his practicality, his practical preaching, the way that he balances well in how he shepherds this flock. If you want to know what a real shepherd looks like, look at the man who last week he talked about walking. That's what drew me here. Because I can run well. And I can fly well. But I don't walk well. And I recognize a man who walks well. And I said, man, I want to get next to that dude and walk with him. And that's what makes sense to me. And that's why I'm here and it's what I feel called to do. So that you guys leave here today equipped to go and share what you're about to learn about Noah today, so let's get to it. I titled this message, Circle of Life for short, but really I want you to understand that it's the circle that brings life. And so faith, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to see in here in a minute that by faith, Noah. And so faith motivates in us fear or in the, in, the, in the language that it's written in, it's more of a reverence. See, the saddest words that God ever heard when uh, he was walking in the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? Adam responded with, I heard your voice, and I was afraid. See, God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. But it is good for us to fear, to reverence him. And when we reverence him and his word, we obey it. And when we obey it, we give God an opportunity to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that our barns cannot 
contained. And when he does that, guess what it builds in us? More faith. And when, and when it builds in us more faith, guess what we do? We reverence him more. And the more we reverence him, the more radical we are to obey him, and the more blessing that he pours out on us, and the more faith that it builds in us, and the more reverence that we have for him, and the more radical we obey him, and it's the circle that brings life. Something I just learned in the scripture about Jesus and the woman at the well, he told that woman that if you drink of this water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And the reason that we're here is because we're thirsting for truth and we're thirsting for hunger. But if you've drunk of that well, you're no longer thirsting for life because that water produces in us a well springing up to everlasting life. And guess what we become? Walking wells. If, uh, we should have red solo cups with us all the time and hand out a red solo cup to each person that we come to and they would ask us, what's this for? And, so, and we would tell them, so you can drink from the well. This water that I give, if you drink this water that the Lord's put in me, you'll never thirst again. Well, what do you mean? Lord, give me this water always. <laughs> no, this water will become a well in you leading to everlasting life. And wherever you go now, you'll be a walking well. i got to get on with Noah. <laughs> so I had an illustration. Yeah, I do got time here, don't I? <laughs> Y'all ain't trying to hit the buffet before anybody, are you? We ain't worried about that. And so my, the first point I want to bring out and the kind of an illustration I want to give today to start this thing off uh, in respect for our pastor here, is that um, I had this thought of valuing the Word of God. And there's three things in my life that I often ask for. And I thought, Lord, if I ask these three things, what would be your response? And so one of the things is, Lord, help me to understand, because we all want to understand deeper truth. We all want to understand the word. And, and the Lord said to me, pray. If you want to understand something, pray. And I thought, but Lord, I need knowledge. I understand. I, I, need, I need you to download knowledge into me. And he said to me, son, I'm asking you to pray because by getting to know me, you'll start to understand my word. Spending time with me. I'm not talking about making your request being made known to me. Don't bring your supplication to me. Spend time talking to me. Pray. And so then I thought, Lord, well, I, I need help with temptations in my life. And the Lord said to me, then I would tell you to fast. And I said, Lord, I, we don't, that's, not, that's not common. We don't have time to fast. And he said, son, to me, fasting is, is more... Than, they, than people have made it. Fasting, son, is a crucifixion of the flesh. And when you crucify the flesh, the temptations of the flesh no longer have strongholds in your life. So if you want my help, son, if you want my help overcoming temptation, then my word to you is fast. And then I said, well, Lord, I, like every person, I need help in my finances help me in that area and so the Lord said to me I would tell you to give 
And so as I was thinking about this illustration, I would say, Lord, that don't make sense. I need more. Not to give away what I got. And he said to me, son, what I want you to understand about giving <laughs> is that you, there has to be a, a place where your possessions don't possess you. But you possess your possession. And in giving, you take control over that area of your life. And when you do that, I then can open up the windows of heaven. And I can then pour out my blessing on you. And so here's the scripture that the Lord gave me. And this is what I'm starting off with today. To value the word of God. Why should I value the word of God? Luke 6.46, here's what Jesus says to me. Why do you now call me Lord, Lord? You notice in that illustration, I started each conversation with him as Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And then do not do the things which I say. Why? Why do we call him Lord and we don't do the things which he say? Because we don't value what he says. It has no weight with us. We don't. We don't think it's relevant to us because we don't have time to fast. We don't have time to pray. We don't have resources to give. And so that's why we call him Lord and then don't do the things that we say because we don't value what he says to us. And so here's what the word of God does in our life. I love this passage of scripture. Anytime I'm talking to a new crowd, I start with this passage of Scripture. Because you've got to understand something. That it's not the mouth who is speaking it. It's the Word of God that does the work in the hearts of man. If you leave here today accrediting me for what God showed you, you've got it all wrong. It's His Word that does the work in our heart. And here's what it says. All Scripture is breathed out, exhaled. By God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. You know what it means to reprove something? To test something. God gives us his word to teach us, but he also gives it to us to test our hearts. He gives it to us to correct us. If you're going the wrong direction on the way to Golden Corral today, wouldn't you like it if your GPS told you to turn and go the other way so that you beat the line? Yeah, we want to be corrected. And for training in righteousness, to be trained by the word of God, so that the man of God may be complete and what? Equipped. That's what we're called to do, to equip each other. The leadership of the church called to equip the saints. You go out and you equip others to make disciples for every good work. So let's get on to Noah. <clears throat> faith by hearing the word of God. We all know the verse in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That passage of scripture in context if you go on to read the next verse verse 18 Paul asked the questions did they not hear he's speaking about the Jews and he about his people those who he wished he was a curse for and he goes on and he asked this question did they not hear and then he quotes Psalm 19 anybody familiar with Psalm 19 
where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. When Paul's speaking about his people, he quotes this verse, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then he asked the question, did they hear? And he said, of course they heard. The oak trees outside preached the gospel. That song, it's what made me start tearing up. It, it was part of what I was going to do. It was confirmation from God that you were right where I want you to be. And so faith cometh by hearing the word of God. Hebrews 7, the first part of it, we're going to break this thing up in, in four parts. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. By faith, Noah believed that God had spoke to him. Faith comes by hearing. By faith, Noah believed that God spoke. And we're going to see just how much he believed it. Genesis chapter 6, if you've got a Bible... You can turn to it if you want to follow with us. If you've got a nap, whatever it is, however you read the Bible, the important thing is, is that you read the Bible. Genesis 6, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, Noah believed that. You, a lot of times we'll say, and really I think it's from a place of pride, we'll say, yeah, but God knows my heart. When I hear people say that, I often respond with, that's the thing that ought to make you fear and tremble the most. Is that God has the ability to look right through every one of us in this place right now and see the intentions and thoughts of our heart. How... How does that make you feel? <laughs> what does that do to the inside of you to understand that in every moment, the omniscient, omnipresent, he's never not present, God can look right into your heart and know the intentions of it all the time. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted, I'm going to talk about that word here in, in a minute, that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made man. I want to touch on this for a minute. That word, back up, regret it. And sorry is the same word in the Hebrew. And here's what it means. It means to sigh, to breathe deeply, to pity. So God looked down at the heart of man, and this is what he did. That's what that's saying. We can only translate it as regret it. Or sorry. But God looked down and he pitied man. And he pitied man because he could look right into his heart. And he knew that the intentions of man was evil all the time. And he just looked down and he just sighed. It literally means to sigh. 
Christy walked out into the garage. Y'all be praying for my son. He was sick all night. And that's my, my wife ain't here. So I have a desk out in the garage where I study and, um, and you know, and just go. I call it my tent of meeting. That's where I go out and I just meet with the Lord. And I'll just go out there and sit in that chair for just a few minutes sometime. But it's a place that I've, I've made where I want God to show up and speak to me. And so I was out there in the garage uh, yesterday and or maybe Friday. I can't even remember now when it was. But Christy, it was Friday night because we were cleaning for Clinton. If y'all don't know, this is something we do every year. You know how you clean the toilet when you got company coming over? That's what we clean the whole house when Clinton's coming down from, we was cleaning for Clinton, that's what we call it. And so she was washing clothes and she walked outside and this big pile of clothes was in the hamper and she had a load in the washer and a load in the dryer and she walked outside and she said, and I just studied this word. And I looked over at her and I said, are you sorry that you made all these kids? And she said, what? What'd you just say? I see, and then I explained this to her, so she's al she already knows this part of it. And I said, that's exactly what God did when he looked down into the heart of man in the days of Noah. He just said, because the burden was so heavy, the grieve in his heart was so heavy, because he didn't, he didn't create man for the intentions of his heart to be evil all the time. But Noah... But Noah found favor, or some, some version says grace. He found grace. He found it in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations or the beginnings of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Let me tell you something else that I learned when I was studying this passage of Scripture is that the scripture shows us two kinds, if you will, of righteousness. A righteousness by which we have, which we become when we become a new creation uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's an, a righteousness imparted to us. It's a righteousness not of our own. That's the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. That's not the righteousness that this is talking about here. This word righteous here means to be morally Morally, is there an F in that? Morally lawful. See, I knew I was going to get it. Y'all are like, how is this guy teaching us? This dude can't even say morally. Anyway, uh, this means to be moral, morally lawful. In Ezekiel 14, if you go read Ezekiel 14 today, you'll see that there's three men mentioned when God is about to judge uh, Jerusalem. He, he mentions three men, and he said, even if these three men were here, they would only save themselves by their righteousness. You know the company that he was in? Noah, Job, and Daniel. Ezekiel 14, you guys read it. He said, even if these three men were here, they would only be able to save themselves. And they walked. Noah was righteous in what he did, but we're about to find out that he inherited another kind of righteousness. This righteousness gets the attention of God, but there's a righteousness. This righteousness is not able to save us. There's a righteousness that's able to bring us into the kingdom of God. And Noah started with this righteousness 
in his circle of life, but he inherited through, through his walk, through his faith and his fear and his obedience. He inherited where we're going to get to the end, another righteousness. Let's continue on. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, <coughs> Ham, that's how it's kind of pronounced, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted whose way? Their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. This is the God that we talk about that's on the other side of the pendulum. This doesn't look like the God of love. No, let's just love one another and love God and forget about living a morally lawful life. You see, Noah experienced both sides of God. Not only did he find grace and favor and God's love, but he also got to see the side of God that gets angry. The side of God that's had enough. The side of God who can look into the heart of man unlike us and say there's nothing else to be done. There's no more room for grace. There's no other solution. Noah got to see both sides. And it came together in the building of an ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. And cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its breadth 50 cubits. Its height 30 cubits. Make a roof of the ark. And finish it to a cubic above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it a little low, make it lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. Hold up. I went too fast. It's my first time, by the way. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring, two of every sort. Oh, I had an illustration over there, but I, I ain't got it with me. Two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. I want you to think about something. When is the last time someone came to you? Let me slow this down a little bit. Two of every sort shall come in to you. Noah didn't have to go herd these animals. These animals had enough sense. These animals had enough sense to pursue life. And they went to the only person who was making life available for them. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time someone came to you to pursue life? Because as a born-again believer, two of every kind. Look, no. 
That's so cool. That is so, hold on to that from the past. Yes, sir. <laughs> I might need that again, keep okay. it close. <laughs> but as, as a born-again believer, as a walking well, you are the only source of life for all the dead things on this planet. And we should live in a way, we should produce a fruit that is so, that looks so good, that, that is so pleasing to the eye that those who are dead will come to us that they may have life. Even the animals knew. Two of every sort shall come to you, Noah. You don't have to do anything. You just have to do what I, you have to, you have to be filled with faith. You have to be filled with reverence. You have to obey. And I'm going to bless you. And as you obey, people are going to come. The animals are going to come so that they may have life. That's why they're coming. They're going to come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eating and, and that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. We reverently fear by believing the word of God. So if I can go back up real quick to hit this other. Oh, that's why I brought this. So I don't have to do that. By hearing, faith comes by hearing. Now let's go back down through here. I ain't going to freeze this thing up in my JJ. If faith comes by hearing, then we reverently fear by believing what we hear. Let me tell you something. I love this verse right here that we're about to look at. We, when we believe what God has just, what all these things God just spoke to Noah, he, he believed it. And because he believed it, he began to have reverence for what God just said. And so look what happens. In reverent fear. In reverent fear. We're going to look at the next passage here in a second. We're going to get to it. Uh, back to Genesis chapter 6. In reverent fear, Noah did all these things. Noah did this. He did all that God <coughs> commanded him. We reverently fear when we believe God. You take a husband and wife, for example. Milk. How well do you reverence the words of your wife? <laughs> Very well. <laughs> That's a trick question, Amy. Very tricky. <laughs> do you believe what she tells you? Sorry. How do you show it? By doing. <laughs> That's how we show it. My wife recently wanted me to paint. You know how I believed that she wanted me to paint? And I showed her that. I started painting. I started putting up baseboards. I even fixed the commode, which is a miracle. And then cleaned it. And then cleaned it, yeah. <laughs> and so we reverently fear by believing the word of God. And, we, and believing is obeying. When we believe the word of God, we will do what it says. Look what Noah did. Hebrews 11, 7 again. In reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark. God told him, look, the end of flesh is all come, has come. The end of all flesh has come. 
Noah, this is it. I'm not putting up with this anymore because I can look into the heart of every man and see that there is not a moment where the intentions of their heart is not evil. And so when Noah heard these words and God gave him a command to build this ark, in reverent fear, he believed God. And because he believed him, he started building an ark. Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you are righteous, there's that word again, before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of all the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of heaven, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I will make I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah what? Did. And he did. Because he believed the word of God, he began to obey the word of God. And let me tell you something, if you don't value the word, you'll never have reverence for it. There'll never be any faith in it. And you'll never obey it. And if you won't obey it, God can't bless it. It's not something that we earn. It's something that he gives us the ability to even do by grace. Apart from his grace, from his unmerited favor. This whole thing starts off with saying, but Noah found favor. He found grace. The whole part of it. All this has to do with the grace of God. Noah found it. And so God gave him not only the grace and the ability to do what he said, but Noah did it. And verse 5 says that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old. Who's the oldest person in here? He ain't got to raise your hand. You ain't close to 600. When the flood waters of the uh, when the flood of waters came upon the earth, <clears throat> and Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of the clean animals and of the animals that are not clean and of the birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the floods came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open, not to bring blessing, but to bring judgment. See, the windows open up for two reasons. And when we rob God of an opportunity to bless us, in Malachi, I really believe that's what God's saying. Will a man rob God? It isn't like you're going to take some of God's resources. It, it ain't like we're going to go peel some gold off of his streets and steal from him, even though that's what we do. It's that we rob him of the chance to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. 
And so what we see here that God opens up the windows of heaven on this man who's he, who he's looked into his heart and seen continual evil intention. And he pours out this judgment. It's the part of God we don't want to preach. This is the part we don't want to talk about. But when we're balanced, when we come to a unity of the knowledge of the grace of God and who he is, it's the part that must be talked about. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them did what? Entered. They went in. They entered. They did what God said. They obeyed because they believed the word that God spoke to them. By obeying, we proclaim the word of God and inherit righteousness that comes by faith. Look at this. The last part of Hebrews. It says, by this he condemned the world and became an heir. In other words, he inherited a righteousness not that came from his, his moral law, uh, lawful stature that he had, but he inherited a righteousness that then came by faith. You see, the eyes of God running to and fro, looking throughout the earth for that moral man that Noah was, that Job was. We, we, we talk about Job, but it's by the grace of God that Job unleashed Satan on him so that Job could then understand at some point in his life that the righteousness you have, the righteousness that I brought in front of Satan when he came before me, is not a righteousness that saves you. As right as it may be, it was the grace of God that brought about that in Job's life. It was the grace of God that brought this about in Noah's life. It was the grace of God that brought Daniel into that lion's den. Daniel had to learn the same thing. Some of the trials that we go through are the grace of God showing us that no matter how morally lawful that you are, that, that righteousness can't save you. You have to inherit a righteousness not of your own, a righteousness that Christ gives. And so by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By obeying, we proclaim. Peter says that he was a herald or a preacher. He calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. By obeying, we proclaim the word of God. And in that, inherit a righteousness by faith. I'm going to end today with this. And I don't know... If I went long enough, but it's okay. This is what I have. <clears throat> I want us to see this. <laughs> I know we're really familiar with this verse. And I ask all the time when people talk about this verse. When Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. I always ask him the question, well, what's 17 and 18 say? Because so often... Uh, we leave out the most important part of what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. 
I believe when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and he told him that you must be born again, the literal translation for that phrase would be to be regenerated or procreated from above again like the beginning. In other words, the breath of God has to enter you like it entered Adam for you to enter a kingdom of heaven because dead people don't go to heaven. That's what God tells the uh, Pharisees and he tells them, you don't understand. Do you know that God spoke of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. That's who he is. And so I believe that's exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. And then he leaves that position. And he goes right, he goes from the highest class person and he tells him, Nicodemus, you can't enter because you have to be born from above to enter. The breath of God has to enter you. And then he, to the highest person in society, and then he goes to the woman at the well and he tells her the same thing. Nicodemus, you can't come in, not because you're not good enough, but because you're dead. You were born in trespasses and sins, and you're dead in them. And then he goes to the lowest member of society, the woman at the well, and he tells her the same thing. If you knew who it was who was speaking to you, you would have asked him for living water. You would have asked for something to bring you to life because you're dead. And I believe both of them receive that breath of life. And so this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. You can tell I learned this in another version. For God did not send his son in the world into the world to condemn it. But what did the scripture just say about Noah? By what Noah did, he condemned the world. What I want us to see is by what Christ did, he condemned the world. He condemned them. He wasn't sent here con to condemn them. But by what he did, he condemned them. Don't you think it's funny that the people saw the animals coming and not one person desired to enter that ark? It's because the, the intentions of their heart was evil continually. Not one person desired or even knew that they needed to be saved. Not one person desired it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For look what happened to Noah. For whoever believes, oh, go back, believes in him is not condemned. Whoever is fully persuaded, whoever believes like Noah believes, whoever believes like Nicodemus we believe, Believed. Whoever believes like the woman at the well believed. She believed enough that she dropped her bucket. She left it at the well. What she came to do wasn't important to her anymore. She left and she went and preached the gospel. In the city, many in the city came to save. And then guess what they did? They came out and saw him himself. And they told the woman, we believed you at first because of what you told us. But now we see for ourselves. 
And for many of us, we have to see for ourselves. For he who believes is not condemned. But whoever does not believe. Jesus deals with sin many times. But here, when he's speaking of salvation and when he's speaking about being born again, he's not dealing with sin. He's dealing with the inner heart of man. And he says, if you don't believe, you're condemned. Every person on earth in the day of Noah didn't believe because not one desire to get in that ark and be saved. They watched animals come that they might have life. But not one human being came that they might have life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not been has not believed. Uh, the word in the Greek, pist, is P-I-S-T-I-F, to be fully persuaded. He's not been fully persuaded in the name of the only Son of God. We proclaim, we preach. I use the word proclaim because I wanted to look smarter than I really am. We proclaim in obedience what we reverence by believing what we hear. I should have had a comma there, but you know my, my punctuation. My English ain't all that right. But we proclaim in obedience what we reverence by believing what we hear. And when we believe what we hear, we inherit a righteousness not of our own, but one that's produced by faith. That's the circle of life. That's not just the circle of life. That's the circle that brings life. And once that life enters you, then everyone around you, you now become, whether you like it or not, equipped to bring life to anyone God puts in your path. The first man, Adam, through him came death. But the second Adam, through him, became a life-giving spirit. And when that life-giving spirit enters you, you become, guess what? A life-giving spirit. What's, what's John say? Like he is, so we become? We become life-giving spirits. You are walking wells. And I want you to leave here believing the word of God today that I am a walking well. And if anyone would come up with an empty cup, I am able to fill it. Jesus appointed me that I may go and bear fruit. And anyone who comes to me hungry can eat from the fruit of the Spirit that's being produced in my life. I should have some love. I should have some joy. I should have some peace, some patience, some goodness, some kindness, some faithfulness, some gentleness, some self-control. When I go to Walmart, I should see what, what I see at Walmart. I should see what I see out in the news when I watch the news because that's all that death produces but when I step into that scene or when I come into that picture life should be falling down off of me how many of you know where seeds come from most of you I, I know most of you think they come from tractor supplies but they don't seeds come from fruit and when we walk around filled with the fruit of the Spirit, when that fruit falls off of us everywhere we go, guess what's inside that fruit? Seeds. 
And it doesn't matter what kind of ground that the seeds are falling on. It only matters is that we're sowing the seed. And today I want you to leave here equipped, knowing, believing the word of God, reverencing it, wanting to produce fruit in your life that everywhere you go, you may be able to feed someone, wanting to produce living water for someone in your life, wanting, desiring to fulfill, to reverence the word of God. If you don't know that you're a walking well today, if you, if you don't have a, a personal deep conviction in this place today that you can produce this fruit of the Spirit, I want to invite you to Jesus. The guys that I've been talking to in my where I work, I minister to people. People ask me, are you, are you a full-time minister? Most of the time my answer is no. And then I explain to them what full-time ministry really looks like. And then they understand that, yeah, I am in full-time ministry. Everywhere I go, I'm sowing seed. And it's, it's not a proclamation of who I am. It's a proclamation of the, what the word of God has done, what the grace of God has done in my life. But I, I get to talk to guys. I'm, I'm in the construction field, and I get to talk to men all the time. And I get to share the, the word of God with them. I get to share the, the truth claims of the scripture. I get to share the truth claims of the historical Jesus, all the things that I've learned here and there, God brings out these different pieces of fruit. And he, I see him feed people all the time with it. And it isn't like this world can take more away from me than I can give. Because Jesus tells me he's appointed me to bear fruit. And he's appointed you to bear fruit. In season and out of season. To bear fruit. If you don't know that you're bearing that fruit. I want to invite you to Jesus. These guys that I talk to in the construction field, I rarely ever invite them to church. Because you can come here and never know Jesus, and what good is it? The guy last week, I said, man, I, I want to invite you to church. I, I really do, but first I want to invite you to Jesus. And, and if you'll go to Jesus, I want you to pray and ask him then what church you should go to. But if you're looking for a place to go, then I have a place where you can go. And if you don't like this place, then I'll send you to another place. And if you don't like that place, call me and I'll send you to another place. If you want to go in church in Vero, if you want to go to church in West Palm, it doesn't matter just as long as you get plugged in somewhere. If you don't have that hope, that fruit in your life, I want to invite you to Jesus. Take a minute right now and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What part of this message applies to me? Just take a moment right now, every head bow, every eye closed. And ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to us in this message? Lord, will you reveal the parts of our heart? today 
that is either faithless or fearless or we don't have enough reverence to obey you or we don't have enough belief Lord in our hearts to do what you say Holy Spirit show us the place in this moment or throughout this week or in the next two months in any time you want to Holy Spirit show us the places where we lack these things and then we ask you Lord to deal with those things we ask you Lord because this is not our home and though we want comforts of life here father we ask you to work those things out of our life in any means necessary and we trust you to do it and we trust you to do it with the utmost grace and we believe you're a God of love and a God of grace but we know you're also a God of wrath and so Lord we love every aspect of your character that you teach us Father I've been through seasons where you've taught me the aspect the side of you that is love and grace and I've been through seasons, Lord, where you've burnt things out of my life that hurt and that were painful. But, Father, it was necessary. Just as those spankings I got when I was a young man were necessary for the development of my character. Father, so your word is necessary in us to be a double-edged sword. To divide, Lord, what is our mind, will, and emotions from what is your spirit. And so, Father, we're asking you in this moment, Holy Spirit, to show us these things in our heart. Because we believe, we believe, Lord, that you're able to look down and see the intentions of our thoughts. To see the intentions of our hearts. We believe you're able to look through all that we can put on on the outside and look right in and see exactly what is going on and father we don't say that in pride that is what makes us fear and tremble before you well, father I pray for that spirit of the fear of the Lord to come over us as your children for that spirit of counsel for that spirit of might for that spirit of wisdom as she, she calls herself out in Proverbs. I was there when the Lord stretched out the measuring tape. Me, wisdom. Father, that spirit of knowledge, we ask for it to come and reveal the deepest things in our hearts that, Lord, we don't even know that's there. Lord, and, and we ask you to deal with those things. Father, Understanding that it might not be comfortable for us today. But that you're doing a work in our life today for 10,000 years down the road. And we want that perspective. And we want to walk every day with that perspective. When people ask us, how do you keep it together? It looks like you've got it all together. We can tell them, no. But I have faith in the last chapter of the book. I've read the end of the story. I know what, how it's going to end. 
Father, give us that perspective that we can walk with day by day. And by doing that, we become a herald, a preacher of righteousness that is by faith. Father, do this work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.